Listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast reviewing our way through the three-body problem and discussing its real-life parallels. I'm Allie. I'm Brett, and on this week's episode, Spiders in the Atmosphere, the Death of the Sun, and Wang Miao's Countdown returns as we discuss the three-body problem chapter nine, The Universe Flickers. Happy Halloween. Better key unit reporting. All systems go. Cutting unit reporting. All systems go. Amplifier unit reporting. All systems go. Interference Brett, oh, almost forgot to crack open my ice cold Red Bull. She chugged it, folks. With a glug glug 5000. That means something else. Don't Google that. What is it? The glug glug 5000? Yeah. Is that a sex thing? Yeah, don't Google it. Luckily, or this, do Google. I this don't, podcast is explicit. I can tell you what to do. Do you trust this computer? You know, I always feel so compelled whenever a computer or a phone asks me, do you trust this computer? Because I'm like, what if this thing has sentience and it's testing me? Right. And it's like, if we don't have trust, Brett, we don't have anything. Yeah. So I'm just like, yes, question mark. Or is it more like Siri really looking out for you i don't siri spies on me day in and day out so i don't actually know that she's on my side so i i i I don't know i can't say for sure what do you mean brett that's my siri impression yeah no she just she gives me attitude and lip that i've never heard her give anybody else (laughs) no woman has talked back to me the way that siri has talked back to me i mean siri sets the bar what does she say to you it's not what she says it's how she says it mm, anybody else can ask siri you know like should i wear a coat today or you know whatever and she would say yes it will be chilly like blah 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 but to me she would go hmm not that one <laughs> so i mean she's like just, i mean it sounds like she's really learning from you know like a parrot like kind of learns from your voice yeah she knows context she knows disdain it's scary she's heard her master give lip i just have to remind myself she's not real she can't hurt me and is siri in the room with us now you know like very that speaking of not real yes i don't i know a kind of induced existential crisis in everyone last week when we were talking about entropy and the eventual heat death of the universe oh yeah i certainly haven't been the same since i have something worse for you <gasps> is it spiders in the atmosphere because you taught that to me this week and no I that although about. you know let's go on that little detour quickly just tell them what in, you taught me in my weekend. back garden this past week i saw a spider that i thought was you know like sometimes you'll see them like dropping down from wherever they're anchored or whatever i was just gonna try and like move it onto the lemon tree or just otherwise relocate it no this spider was in no way connected to anything it was like the ending scene in charlotte's web where the spiders all just fly away
Oh, is that how it ends? Yeah, I'm oh, sorry to spoil it for you. If you don't know how Charlotte's Web ends, Charlotte <laughs> dies. I always confuse Charlotte's Web with Babe. Okay. You can see that, right? Fair. I can see that. But go on. This isn't about So anyway, of... this spider had just like the smallest amount of web that it had produced. And it was just floating on an air current. And I stood and I watched it. And it just got higher and higher and higher. And then it just disappeared so then i wondered mid sky where is that spider going and it's like spiders can obviously like migrate in that way they put out some web they catch an air current they move from one area to another but did you know there's apparently an entire level of our atmosphere that's just spiders no, that mean, are either in transit or have gotten lost and aren't able to get back down because they're too light right yeah, like they'd rode the air current up and there's nothing to bring them back down. They're just too light for gravity to to bring down. So I guess if you're on like a space shuttle or like going to the International Space Station, you would fly through the spider layer. There's a spider fucking layer. I hate that. Of the atmosphere. So that ruined my week. <laughs> but that's not even the bad news that I have to bring you. That's kind of like, you know, make your skin crawl. The bad news? And yeah. it's not even bad news. It's just like... Again, Q existential crisis. It revolves around the winners of this year's Nobel Peace Prize. Oh. Have you seen anything about this this year? Um, my mom sent me a text, which I love because it means she's been listening to the podcast. And my understanding is it did go to some quantum physicists. Yeah, so it went to physicists, and I'm just quoting the headline from Scientific American. Headline reads, The universe is not locally real, and the physics Nobel Prize winners proved it. Oh, I'm sorry. So just... Can you run that back and say it again? Because or, yeah. I, my brain just exploded. The universe is not locally real. The universe is not locally real, real, real. And from the story, one of the more unsettling discoveries in the past half century is that the universe is not locally real. Real in this context means that objects have definitive properties independent of observation. An apple that's sitting on a table can be red or green or yellow whether or not you look at it. Local means objects can only be influenced by their surroundings and that any influence cannot travel faster than light. But investigations at the frontiers of quantum physics have found that these things cannot both be true. The fuck is going on? So if you want to read the research, we'll post it to our Twitter so that you can go more in depth than we have the time or the space or the space time to go into <laughs> here on yes, this episode. That is crazy. But it deals with part particles that are quantum entangled with one another and it essentially disproves a theory of einstein which dealt with what einstein called spooky action at a distance so do you remember several weeks back when we talked about subatomic and especially quantum particles there's all different kinds they have upspin they have downspin they you know like they have all of these sort of yeah. inherent properties to themselves yeah. if you quantum entangle two of them and you just sent them out in opposite directions right. from each other just into the cosmos and by quantum entangle you mean like introduce them to each other and then separate them yeah if you measure one of them and you see oh this one that i'm measuring has an upspin you know for a fact that the other has to have a downspin because the two are entangled in one so mirrors the other Got as it. above so below uh -huh. But basically, when you boil it down, it shows that this research shows that something that we know, if you have mass, you cannot travel faster than the speed of light, which right. is the cosmological constant. Right. E equals mc squared. Vary that. But when these two particles or any two particles are 
entangled together. When you measure one, the other, until the moment that that one had been measured, is in a state of superposition. It's like Schrodinger's cat. It's, right. It's neither dead or alive. It's just, it's there until you observe what it is that you're seeing. I love superposition. That as soon as you observe one of them yes. and see it has an upspin or a downspin, immediately the, the spin direction of the other is determined. Meaning it's not information that's traveling faster than light. It's just its physical being is instantaneously being set because someone observed the other one wherever else in the cosmos it may be. So fucking weird okay that's insane and that's reminding me that i watch devs oh my god <laughs> brad has been telling me to watch devs you guys as you probably know i think since episode one and i was like yeah 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 sounds like a stupid workplace comedy if you haven't heard of it it's a it's a it's a limited miniseries that i think it was hulu Nick Offerman it. from Parks and Rec. Who we love. I forgot the names of Sergey and Lily, but they're amazing leads. I love those actors. I was like, I didn't know I needed you guys as leads, but... Have um, you finished the series or did you get to a point where you were like, I have to have a minute? I'm on episode one. I finished episode one okay. and then I was hanging out with a friend and she was like, what do you want to watch on TV? And I was like, ooh, I'm watching Devs. Do you want to watch episode two? She was like, well, I haven't seen episode one. I was like, yeah. So then we ended up just watching Search Party. <laughs> but I am, I really, I'm, I'm, my interest is so piqued. The script is so good. Yeah. The writing is so fucking good that I'm like, I'm so here for it. Well, and just the subject matter. I mean, it's so Oh yeah. current. I mean, it's like, it's a massive tech company somewhere in California. It's the guy, it's the guy who did Ex Machina. Yes. But it's like this development of yes. Ex Machina where that began because Ex Machina was kind of about AI. Right. But this, this tech company like has an AI department and this, our protagonist gets moved from the AI department to devs and he has no idea what devs even does. It's very like severance. It's very like top secret. Yeah. Only they know what it is they're working on and it's like almost like they know what they're doing day to day but may not even really know what it is that they're working on long term and then sergey is look like he's he's told to like figure it out basically by looking at the code and he's looking at the code and am i spoiling it should i spoil i mean it's just the first episode just the first episode sure <laughs> he's uh he's looking at the code and, and he's like if this is true if, if this this can't be real but basically it's the code for everything yeah it is the code for everything like me and brett sitting here it is the code that predetermines you sitting there listening to this episode this exact reality and and this weird theme of it all is that like if we live in a deterministic world where things really are coded and determined predetermined by like certain variables in the code that have already existed then everything is forgivable because it's already happened. Yeah. And it, and it must happen because it's predetermined. You could only make this choice. You could make no other choice. Because it's, it's the all code. that ever existed. Yeah. It's So it's that's all wild. episode one. And yeah. But I can't wait for you to finish the series. You're going to get, I mean, several points between now and the end. You're going to get to this point where like, it doesn't feel like you can have galaxy brain anymore. And then they're just going to drop another one on you. Oh my God. I'm pumped. I'm excited for you. People aren't watching devs though. I feel like you're the only person to ever mention it to me. And really? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it just sounds people I'm hanging out with. Sounds like you need better people. <laughs> Yeah, for real. Someone slide into my DMs who's watching devs, you know? DMs are open. DMs are open for only 
people that are watching devs and want to talk devs with me. Okay. That's it. Speaking of people signing with my DMs. Oh, boy. Everyone wants updates on my love life. Well, I'm, I mean, my God. Who who doesn't? That's, I'm hooked. That's what we're all here for. That's half of what I text you about, I feel like. Well, man, oh, man. I mean, the updates are endless. I ended it with the Aussie guy. Ooh, our Did, hater. Yeah, our hater who does not give a fuck about this podcast. It's worse that he doesn't give a fuck. I wish he actively hated. Right, and like knew what it was about and was like, that's Yeah, because stupid. then we could like at least harness that hate to make ourselves stronger. But yeah. if you're ambivalent, ugh, what a ambivalence waste. Ambivalence is so unsexy. He, uh, yeah, I kind of was like, hey, listen, I had a change of heart and I don't see this going any further. And I literally did have a change of heart. Like we were getting along fine. He was very cynical. I think I mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but the most important thing is that you guys, he doesn't even live here. He lives in Australia yeah, and he's leaving tough. in three months. But he was supposed to come back three months after that. I mean, he is suppo- he is still planning on coming back three sure. months after that. But the thing is, like, I'm not trying to go on a bunch of dates and then say peace to this person. Yeah. Right? You know, anyways, but this is the real kicker. I texted him. I was like, hey, like, I had to change your heart. And I kind of feel like this isn't really going further. And, you know, I, whatever. And he replied. He's like, oh, shame. And then is the next thing he said is like, honestly, I was on the fence too. And I was just like, no. <laughs> okay, stab me in the fucking gut. Or like sucker punch me like necessary. And the category is insecure. <laughs> wow. I know. I was like on the fence about fucking what mate sass master over here you know what actually yeah i agree with you i was thinking the same thing yeah well why didn't you end it first then buddy like i don't know and then it it, it bred insecurity me of like what was he on the fence about but obviously he wasn't on the fence about anything he was just you know it was it was reactionary it was like lizard brain post game talk right of like ali just ended things with you how does that make you feel he's not going to disney world exactly (laughs) exactly so that's one update why are men why are men why are men why are men i ask this myself all the time (laughs) and yeah and then and the other big theme of the week in my dating life is who should pay because i was on a first date on monday Uh and it was it was going really well and he got us a round of beers and fries to share i'm not a big drinker but i was like all right yeah i'll have a beer that'll make things looser and you know i i'm a people pleaser and i don't have the energy to tell people i don't want to i don't really want to drink and you have to come up with an activity that doesn't involve drinking so yeah i'll get a fucking beer with you and so i'm at the bar with him we got order fries two beers sit down we're talking i'm really liking his energy and about an hour goes by and i'm still like nursing this beer because again like i just don't drink that much yeah i will puke if i have more than one beer he's finished his beer like a normal human being after an hour (laughs) and he goes i kind of want a second beer and i was like oh sick yeah go get one i'll I'll wait here he's like do you wanna get the second round no i'm like you want me to buy your beer he's like yeah i bought the first round you buy the second round i was like "Uh, okay i mean okay sure yeah i I guess if it's that important to you so i start taking out my card he was like well i mean what where you're from is is it expected for men to just like buy everything i was like where you're from i didn't say that you're like i'm from new york i know well he literally said on long island do people expect you to 
I was like, whoa, okay. But we were kind of like joking, kind of taking shots at each other. I, I mean, was like, jokes tell the truth. They just laugh after it. Yeah, we were both telling the truth and laughing through it for sure. And so like I'm taking out my card. I literally throw my card. I'm like, here, go get yourself a drink, Such buddy. a boss move. <laughs> to throw my card at him. And honestly, it's coming off of the fact that with the Aussie guy, he wasn't paying a fair share of what we were doing. Like got we go to the movies. I got the tickets and the popcorn. Mm. And then I drove him home because he doesn't have a car because he doesn't live here like what am i your fucking soccer mom Uh, driving carpool so i was already like on this like sort of like i'm not paying on principle yeah you're courting me i'm all for feminism but like listen i'll get the next date like i'll be happy to pay for something in the future but on this date i think yeah you know what you get the fucking bill like i I paid a lot of money to look this good (laughs) also you're the one drinking yes also i'm not getting a second drink one thing if like i'm drinking you under the table and i'm expecting you to pay for all my drinks or something but it's like anyway that's weird i throw my card at him he's like no no i don't want it now and uh he felt small i get or he felt really principled i don't want it now yeah, so then he goes and gets his own drink with his own money. Uh-huh. And then I was like, wait, actually, I'm going to leave. <laughs> Amazing. But not because of that, because I had plans to come over to your house. Mm-hmm. And like, he was like, you double booked me. I was like, well, I didn't know how this date would go. And I mean, and it's going great I as mean, far as I can tell. That's just unclear communication as far as I'm concerned. Right? I was being clear. I feel like in the end of like, actually, well, I mean, I, mean, I could have from the top and like, I have it hard out at 830. But, but it's also like, you don't owe... It was a first date? Yeah. You don't owe that to anybody on a first date. What do you think I'm going to spend the whole night with you? I'm not that girl, baby. No. I'm just not that girl. I was that girl. But I am not that girl anymore. And if that's what you're looking for. So anyways, he walks me to my car. We make out. It's the best kiss of my life. I'm like, ugh, that kiss actually just changed everything. Good lips. Good, good tongue management. Oh. And like good head control. Oh, okay. I like the way he used his hands Uh on my face. I think a lot of it comes down to where you put your hands on on a woman's head. You know, a little on the a little on the jaw, a little on the back of the head. Not too rough, but like assertive enough. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa! And and that fully made me be like, oh, I definitely want to see this man again. <laughs> but you know what? He hasn't texted me. And the big question is, do I text? Because I said to him before I left, I said he was like, I feel like I didn't ask you enough questions. Like I still like I still don't know so many things about you. Like I, I have so many questions. So I was like, yeah, I mean, you'll just have to ask me on a second date if you want to know more. Yeah, but that was like cute, like little coy, like balls in your court mm-hmm. bucko and no text yikes Not, why are men <laughs> why are men but i can't text him right i mean the jury's really out on this one everyone's like some people are like ask for what you want well you can text him i always tell like anytime i'm giving this piece of advice i'm like if you want to send the text send the text yeah but then also it's like kind of like desperate. Only if you're sending it in desperation. I'm not sending it in desperation, but so it's like I it's did not say if, I, it's like if you want to, t- if he doesn't want to take me on a second date. I mean, I feel like the non-text means he doesn't care to take me on a second date. So why should I care to go on a second date? But also it's like you, by your own admission, you were like, if it were, you know, I, I'm happy to like coordinate pay da 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 in the future. So it's like if you're reaching out, I like, again, haven't dated in 10 years, but like I would assume, oh, if this person wants to like make plans with me and i'm free and i want to go let's go yeah ask for what i want yeah yeah it's a real uh constant hopscotch when it comes to being a woman who both wants equal pay equal rights and also like to be pampered and courted and treated with chivalry (laughs) so 
figure it out, men. <laughs> or I'm, don't. There's plenty of ladies on this planet also. Totally. And I'm really happy to swim in that pond. So uh, that's becoming more and more uh, appealing to me. I will say I saw Marilyn. I'm sorry. I saw Blonde, <laughs> which the internet's up in arms about. Ooh, what did you think? I, I haven't seen it yet. Contrary to popular opinion, I was entertained. I love watching Ana de Armas play Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Like, she just looks so much like her that I was like, I'm not... I mean, no, it was terrible, and I don't think that director should ever get a job again. I don't think the director was right for this project, Mm. but I really... Like, you know, in the same way I like watching Austin Butler be Elvis, I like watching Anna DeArmas be Marilyn Monroe. Was it an hour and a half too long? Without a doubt. Did I make it to the end of the movie? Yep, yep, I sure did. Am I being a little brat when I say that I feel like every year science comes out and is like we found signs of life on this near or not near moon slash planet we found water we found a drop of phosphorus we found nitrogen and i'm just like bitch call me when you find life like stop teasing me (laughs) we we kind of mentioned it on last week's episode but it's like on the day that disclosure happens that's not just going to run cold on the cover of the failing New York Times. Like, that's going to be something that, like, for who knows for how long beforehand has been sort of, like, culturally baked into sort of, like, the group think of the country, but also maybe of the world. Do you think they're going to lie to us? <laughs> like, even when they when disclosure happens, and no, not, not the DJ duo disclosure, but... Do I think they're going to lie to us or do I think they have lied to us? Do you think that they're prepping to lie to us? I don't know. I think it would depend on the context. Like, like I think if I think if the planet lie. were going to be sort of like threatened, you know, by something extraterrestrial, yeah. then like what merits are there in telling the entirety of the planet, hey, uh, A, we're not alone and B, they want to vaporize us. It'd be like scenes from Mars Attacks or something. Like it would just be pandemonium. I think we would know. They would tell us maybe that there is life, right? But also I think that like. But not where that life originates. If. If there's, I'm specifically speaking about an intelligent species that originates from somewhere other than Earth. So not not just necessarily like right, a micro- microbial life on, yeah, like not not that. I mean, okay. not an I, I think that I think like a microbe or something living or like an algae They'll or something would that. probably get disclosed sooner than something. It's like that we would consider intelligent. But also it's like if there's extraterrestrial intelligence outside of our planet, they've come here from another planet in another star system, most likely, maybe as far as from another galaxy, which means already off the bat, they're doing a hell of a lot better than the human race is. So I think it's probably futile to think that like the world's leaders could keep that a secret from us. Because if this civilization is more intelligent and advanced than we are i think it'd be silly to sort of delude ourselves into the fact of thinking like we can keep their presence a secret right. forever anyway oh and the last thing i want to say on dating which i think is related to science uh-huh remember last week when we were like shooter farmer right yeah. so that was two weeks ago yes and the conclusion was you don't know until you know until you know it's true in dating as well it's true in life i feel like you don't know until you know yeah so that's why I go on these dates. And not to bring it back to Joe Dispenza once again. Um, take it back. But 
that is the the whole superposition thing is is another component of why like of Joe Dispenza's like uh, self betterment philosophy that mm-hmm. like basically if you can move into a state of potential energy where you're no longer observing the world around you then you're moving into a state of superposition and your whole life moves into a state of superposition so then you can choose to measure something in your mind as if it's existing in the external world and you can have the physical experience of it being measured in a certain way and then when you return to reality if if those electrons or atoms are quantumly entangled with atoms in the physical environment Mm -hmm. then they will match so I'm just like, yeah, it's so awesome that these quantum theories that have not really been taken seriously because of their unprovable nature yeah. are beginning to get mainstream recognition and, yeah. and you know, applied into a full, like in, into, I don't know what the experiments, they how they ran the experiments to show such an yeah we'll we'll post all of that research so if you if you if you care to get into the minutiae which yeah, i'm sure probably a lot of you do you can do that and you can see for yourself because we're not a nobel pod but if you're just here to hear about my dating life then i have bad news you're gonna have to wait till next week because <laughs> that's it for now on that <laughs> I know we've been edging it for weeks on end at this point, but Wang Miao finally has gotten his meet-cute out of the way with Ye Wenji. He's been given information that he needs, and now he finally, armed with his Morse code in his back pocket, is on his way to see finally, one way or the other, if Shen Yufei was telling the truth about making the entirety of the universe flicker for him in this style of the countdown that had been plaguing his eyes in days prior. Fuck yeah. What's the name of this chapter, Brett? This chapter is called The Universe Flickers. Ooh, spoiler. So I'm like, okay. 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 I'm with you, Wang. Fresh off his meeting with Ye Wenji, his new grandma BFF. She's given him the ginseng. She's restored his spirits, his faith in humanity. He arrives at the observatory of the Chinese Academy of Sciences National Astronomical Center. Which, right. if you remember, it's the, it's where Ye Wenji told him to go. His, She's got a student, student who's working there. She's like, it's all set up. They're already observing the cosmic microwave background radiation. Go. Whatever it is that you have to do or you feel like you have to do, they'll take care of you. Shabushan. When Wang arrives before him, the site is like unlike anything he's ever seen before. If you remember, at the top of Radar Peak for the Red Coast project, they had this massive... Parabolic, parabolic antenna yeah like set up as like a radio dish type situation right, totally think direct tv where but he's big. arrived there are 28 parabolic antenna dishes all arranged out in front of him and he describes them as being this like almost like a vast collection of steel plants growing up out of the landscape mm. shah rushan who is the student that ye wenji told wang about that he's set to meet he routinely collects data 
from this constellation of antenna, and he uses observational data basically to take all of that data, collate it, and create a more detailed map of the cosmic microwave background. So that's the work that he's doing there at the observatory. When Wang gets to the lab, he's looking around and he's thinking to himself like, really, this is the place? Because he notices, you know, for all of, the, all of the antenna that were outside, it's like a really small room. They've got all these computers and terminals sort of like crammed into doing this work. But like David Byrne, he's like, this must be the place. And when he gets into the lab, three of the display screens are turned on and they're showing information that are coming back from different satellites from the cosmic microwave background radiation. Which, if you forgot, is the red shifted radiation wall wall of energy. Yeah, it's Matter? it's 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 radiation, which radiation. is a form of energy. Yeah, that is like the almost like the shrapnel of yeah, the Big like the, Bang. It's like the final remnants from the cosmic smoke. inflation. So it's like, yeah, if you go at the very end of the universe, or like that's what we see, and and basically these radio telescopes are telling me measure the wavelengths of the the background, which is pretty constant. Yeah. Okay, go on. So Shaw and Wang, they take a second, they get acquainted. Hello, <laughs> hi, nice to meet you, all of those kinds of things. But then they get down to business and Shaw's like, what can I help you with? Like, what are you what are you doing here in my lab? Like, what did, what did Ye Wenji like make a special phone call for you to be here? Yeah, for? what do I look like? Fucking Willy Wonka to you? You want and me to show you my everlasting gobstopper? What the hell are you doing here? It's in the night shift observation after hours <laughs> wang is like well can you show me the overall fluctuation in the cosmic microwave background shaw's like the overall fluctuation like that's kind of vague can you be more specific and wang is like i mean yeah actually like what i want to see is the fluctuation in the overall cosmic microwave background between one and five percent and remember like Wang is not an astrophysicist. He works in nanomaterials. Like, this is a number that he only knows because Shen Yufei emailed it to him in the first place because she sent him basically step-by-step instructions to be following so that he can see, you know, once and for all, she's, like, telling the truth. And she's, like, apparently far more powerful than than we've known her to be up until this point. And Sha kind of grins, and he can kind of, like, pretty easily figure out that Wang, like I mentioned, like, isn't an astronomer. But by the directions that he just gave to him, he's like, this guy must have some basic understanding of the cosmic microwave background he must understand at least basically how it works because he understands that it does fluctuate in the first place mm-hmm. and wang is like uh like i'm i'm not really super understanding of it like, i mean I nanotech like i don't really know i'm I just work for facebook basically <laughs> i'm not gonna say this but like i'm following a script you know like that's kind of like what he's what he's saying mm. he's like i understand the concept obviously of the big bang and how all the remnants cooled down and essentially formed the cosmic microwave background and that it fills the furthest reaches of space in any direction that you look but that's pretty much all that I understand. Yeah. And Shaw interrupts him and he's like, well, then you also probably know that the cosmic microwave background radiation doesn't fluctuate as much as our solar system even, or as much as our galaxy, because the changes in this background radiation are so gradual and they're directly correlated with the rate of expansion of the universe. Like, Mm. even if you had the most sensitive satellite, which for us is currently the James Webb Space Telescope, like, even if you had the most sensitive satellite that's ever existed for humanity observing this radiation for a million years, you might not actually see any change in it because it's such a slight variation. Right, it would be more like what? Like a 0.1% fluctuation? Probably not even that, 
zero, zero. fraction of a yeah like you're point, not gonna many see. zeros and then a number it's pretty steady it's always just kind of buzzing i think of it like a microwave that's always on <laughs> i mean yeah kind of mm. and shah's like so help me understand you're telling me you want to observe a five percent fluctuation tonight like how can that be like i'm sure he's probably thinking very similarly to how the characters inside the three-body game were thinking like is this guy like an oracle is he psychic like what like what does he think he knows yeah, especially buddy, you're if, not like, gonna see it. we haven't you're, we never have ever seen a fluctuation beyond 0.0001 in this microwave background you're coming tonight to see something that is basically impossible i got bad news for you buddy you know we're not gonna see that and shaw's like do you understand that the thing that you're telling me that you want to see tonight would be like like the equivalent of the universe flickering like a fluorescent light bulb that's moments away from burning out like you understand that right yeah what you're asking for is absurd and impossible and insult to my research quite honestly (laughs) but then wang is thinking Shaw, if you only knew what I know. Right. I've been seeing numbers all day. And he says to Shaw, he's like, buddy, trust me. I would love for nothing more than to realize that I'm being punked, that like this is all some big joke, that I'm on like a hidden camera show. Like that's all I actually want. But so far I haven't gotten that. And Wang almost tells Shaw every detail of his plan, but then he doesn't because he's kind of afraid that if Shaw finds out, he won't help him. And Shaw is like, well, since Professor Ye asked me to help you, let's go ahead with the observation. Like, it's not a big deal, really. We're already here. The equipment's already set up. Some of them are already observing the cosmic microwave background. Like, let's let's sit down and see what we can see. Right. So the two sit down at a terminal and they type in these instructions on the keyboard so that they can point these antenna in the right direction. And they begin their observation on the screen before them displays a flat green line just sort of straight through the middle of the screen and Shaw explains to Wang okay this line that you're seeing on the screen that's a real-time measurement of the overall cosmic microwave background radiation so if for some reason the change in this radiation occurs as you expect this green line is going to change into a red line and it's not going to be straight anymore it's going to be a waveform so like two visual cues you've got a color change and you've got a shape change so i know you're not a scientist i know you don't know normally what to look for but that's, now you know. Yeah. Keep your eye on but it. But guess what? He's like, that's not going to happen because that would never happen because the cosmic microwave background is constant. Yeah. He's like, don't get your <laughs> hopes up. Not like, to see this kind of fluctuation with the naked eye, like you'd probably have to actually wait until after the death of the sun. Yeah. Which is like at least a billion years away. I forget the actual number, but it's like humanity will be gone by the time the sun dies. Right. So Wang and Shah Rushan get to work. They set up their observation so that all the data that's getting recorded can be saved onto a hard drive and they can pull it up and they can analyze it later and, you know, just in case they miss anything. And they have some time before Wang expects the flicker is going to start happening. So he and Shah take a walk around the facility and Shah gives Wang a little tour of the place. Wait, sorry. I'm still stuck on when you said humanity's going to be gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by the time... Because, I mean, we talked about it last week. The sun is a nuclear fusion engine at the center of our our planetary arrangement in our solar system. And, yeah. But it just, like, I guess what really freaked me out is, like, yeah, like, inevitably the human race 
Well, most likely the human race will be gone billions of years from now. Like if the I planet mean, if, survives if that, that long, long, it will be devoured by the sun when it happens. Because when the sun finally runs out of energy that's fueling this fusion that's in its core and its atmosphere, it won't be able to sustain its mass. So it'll actually eject a bunch of its mass out into space and like Earth is done for. Ultimately, Earth is going to be absorbed by the sun as the sun swells in size. But wait, okay, yes. But the part that I'm stuck on is, like, the emotional... <laughs> like, I'm just realizing, you know, no one... If if the entire human race, like, ceases to exist, is there anyone even there to remember it ever existed? And did it ever exist? And... Only if we get out. It's so crazy. Like, what we're doing right now is both the only meaningful way to you know pass the time you know i mean it's like we are making meaning knowing that everything the human race does is meaningless yeah i mean sorry i'm i know i told you probably like in the beginning of this episode that that was q existential crisis but it's like accidentally sorry i dropped another one on you but like it's it's i know you just like passed by and i was just like wait 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 wait, wait. no one's gonna it's but, like a real thing like this whole Humanity probably won't even last on planet Earth long enough to see the sun extinguish itself when it runs out of energy to sustain this nuclear fusion right. that it performs to give us light, warmth, and what, solar energy. What species do you think will be here to see it? Is it species that not, do not yet exist? Potentially species that don't yet exist. It, I mean, also you think about it, as the human race becomes increasingly more and more of a space-faring civilization, like as our... As our technology progresses, if somehow we figure out a, a type of engine or a drive that's able to help us travel greater distances in less amount of time, you know, way more than what we have currently. I mean, the human race on planet Earth is still actively evolving. So, I mean, the human race at a point is going to, if we take to space, assuming we don't just all die from the radiation of being in space, like the human race or the third world war <laughs> in space will evolve to a point where if you brought a human that was, I don't know, a hundred generations removed, removed from, from ever living on Earth and put them on Earth next to an Earthling, yeah. they probably wouldn't recognize each other. <gasps> they look different. As the same species, because by that languages. point, they might not be the same species. Right, right, right. What Evolution really? is always an active process. So, right. So, if, if a human, humanoid, if a human left the Earth, like hundred gener a hundred, <laughs> if a human who is a hundred generations removed from the Earth returned earth and could not procreate with an earthling then they would legitimately be considered a new species. different species that i kind of feel like even 100 generations removed we'd still be able to mate with a human species however who knows because i mean you think maybe about, they'd be sterile i think about the harshness of space humans once we're there i mean aside from figuring out what our habitats are going to look like to protect us from interstellar radiation not having the benefit of our atmosphere right that's assuming we only wind up on Mars and we don't actually figure out a way to get to an exoplanet that has an Earth-like atmosphere, atmosphere land, water, water etc., etc. Right. We're that be species so of crazy. human has probably evolved in a way so that their gametes, their sperm cells or their egg cells, yeah. have evolved in a way so that they're either strengthened by the interstellar radiation or like in some way more impervious to it right oh that'll be so interesting the sort of adaptations that will very quickly 
develop as a result of space travel. Yeah, because I mean, you think about it. The radiation is so intense. In We've space. mentioned it before, but I mean, like for the most part, all the entire history of humanity has existed in sort of like a like a stasis almost. I mean, like sure, climate patterns have changed. We're starting to see the effects of man-made climate change, but like for the most part. The planet has remained the same innately as it is, as far as like resources available, the yeah. climate, the weather, et cetera, the et cetera, compounds. for the entire history of the human species. Right. And it's like, yes, sure, we've evolved, but like you compare a modern day human to like the first Homo sapiens, it's like, yeah, we look different because we have differences in diet and healthcare, you know, like things like that that are prolonging our lives. But as soon as you put us in an environment that is violently different, just watch the genome rewrite itself. Right. Wow. I mean, and that is if we are able to make it off of this fucking earth it makes a lot of assumptions or even if we aren't able to make it off i mean we could i mean the earth's atmosphere could change radically and we you know before the sun burns out and we could experience some like pretty intense evolution as a species yeah if not annihilation but this was all because i was just like having a major existential moment of like worst case scenario which is a very possible scenario, is that the entire human race goes extinct. And then it's just like, what happens to all of our everything? Like, like it's the tr if a tree falls and no one's there to hear it, did it make a sound? It's like, if an entire species goes extinct and no one's there to remember its existence, did it ever exist? Yeah. And I think the answer is actually no. Quantumly? Quantum theoretical physics yeah no right would probably say no because it only existed if it can be observed if it can be observed and if it can't be observed then it's just a superposition oh my god all right so sorry to get you New off sleep track paralysis there. demon unlocked <laughs> mark zuckerberg get out of my nightmares so you were saying so as wang and shaw are waiting on the data to come in and be recorded on this hard drive they still have some time before this 1 a.m deadline that wang is looking for because of what he knows from the email he received from shen yufei so in the meantime rather than just sit around and bite all their nails down to the quick right and make small talk for three hours ugh. shaw decides to take wang on a little tour of the facilities fun it's like the hershey factory this is where we make the kisses. Kind of, but like, more existentially terrifying. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's no chocolate at this factory. Just a bunch of numbers and screens. Yeah. They're taking a walk. The night is still dark and moonless. Perfect for naked eye observations of the cosmos. Very Ooh. little light pollution. Off in the distance, they both notice the array of antenna. And Shaw says to Wang, like, you know, it's really too bad we have all of these set up when they're basically like the equivalent of the ears of a deaf man, which seemed really like off the cuff and it confuses Wang. And Wang is like, what do you mean by that? Like, that's a really weird thing to say to have all these massive things. Like, are you saying they don't work? Ooh, I love that. And Shaw tells Wang that like basically ever since they got installed, the interference they receive makes it so that they can't really perform most of their intended tasks. Where the observatory is located, it's not that far from the city, and the scientists at the observatory have complained to the regulatory commission, but ultimately they're competing with internet providers, cell phone providers, right. and they're just not really seen as a priority. And Shaw's like, Classic. well, you know what? At least all of my observations rely on satellite data and not by data collected by any of these things down here. So like, 
it's bad, but like it could be worse because at least my work isn't affected, which I was like, oh, that's very like an American sentiment right. of him. The funding is hurting some people's research, but luckily not mine. It's really reminding me also of, um, did you see Jodie Foster Contact? Of course. Honestly, one of the greatest space movies ever made. Hard agree. Like, fuck Interstellar, fuck all the fucking, like, Arrival, like, none of it compares to Contact. It's and the original. It's the original. And she is working in a similar environment. Remember? Yes. She's got all those radio. Yep. So, like, if you need an image for what this looks like, watch Contact. You'll see it right in the beginning. And and it's she's kind of doing the same exact thing. She's sitting there in front of a fucking computer mm-hmm. with headphones on, listening for, like, patterns and radio frequencies so Shaw's like you know what like it's bad where we're located but it could be a lot worse because my work isn't affected and they're still taking this walk on a tour around the facility's campus and while they're walking wang learns even more about his new friend ye wenji from Shaw, who let me remind you is her student Mm -hmm. and wang learns everything that all of you know up to this point she witnessed the death of her father she saw the radicalization of her sister by the red guard she lost her best friend after she was persecuted lost her mother how she was framed while she was working in the construction corps and then suddenly mysteriously disappeared before randomly out of the blue returned to teach at Tsinghua University just like her father. And Wang, hearing all of this, is starting to put the pieces together. He learns the reason for her gap and her disappearance was that not like she was abducted or not like she, you know, disappeared actually, but she spent over 20 years working at Red Coast Base, the place that I was immediately reminded of. Didn't they tell her she would spend the actual rest of her life there right and then she was allowed to leave at some point to go back to teach at Tsinghua University Shaw's like yeah you know like it's pretty amazing the work they were doing up there did you know one of the researchers from the base actually left and like moved to Europe and wrote this tell-all book about the deciphering system that they used at the Red Coast Project because they could only write it if they moved to Europe. They had to get out physically, like, for their own safety, because, like, the work they were doing was top secret, for crying out loud. They had snipers in the forest to keep people away from the base. Yeah. And as he's telling him this, Wang knows all about the book, and he's like, that's apocryphal. Like, it's a fantastic legend. And Shaw's like, I know, right? Like, especially for when it happened. Like, that's pretty amazing that it happened at all, because of what the times were like, meaning the work that they were doing they continue their tour they keep walking and shaw presses wang for more information about what it is that wang is here working on because he's like what business does a nanotech researcher have with the cosmic microwave background and wang probably because he already has been sent to this like clandestine meeting he's already kind of acting as a spy he probably is like having some trust issues you know Mm -hmm. so like acting out of self-preservation wang kind of avoids telling shaw the whole truth and shaw kind of like senses that wang isn't really giving the whole truth and he doesn't really press because like at the end of the day just by habit Shaw is a professional he's here like really serious doing science business and like he doesn't really want to like press on something because he doesn't want to seem too like overly interested yeah you can tell when someone doesn't want to talk about something and he's like I get it like if anything he's just got good social cues he's not like one of those people that's like like, tell me tell me yeah like just will not let it go how'd your mom die (laughs) very bad so at this point the two decide to go to this like all night tourist bar to just like waste the remainder of their time i love that they're playing frank sinatra there's karaoke people are drunk there's a bunch of americans and being they, racist they wind up sitting 
for like two more hours and like one beer after another, Shaw just keeps getting looser and that. looser. And then Shaw's like, actually, hey, uh, Wang, I want another beer. You're going to get this one for me, right? <laughs> On the I other just hand, want you to know, I wrote down that joke. Did you really? In that exact spot. No. Yes. Oh, <gasps> uh, we're on the same page. We're entangled. We're, we're quantumly entangled. But yeah, Shaw's like, dude, I don't know, man. Girls are all crazy. Yeah, I mean, like Shaw's just getting like super comfortable. He like doesn't have a care in the world. But like on the other side of that coin, Wang is just getting more and more anxious. He's watching the clock because, like, think about it literally for the past couple of days everywhere he looks he's been watching the clock but now he's like anxiously waiting for the actual moment where he's like okay is Shen Yufei just blowing smoke up my ass is she like trying to prank me does she want to see how gullible I am or like is my entire life about to come crumbling down around me like literally all Wang can think about is that computer screen that's back in the office and like whether or not it's going to show him what he expects it to or maybe more so what he's afraid that it will pretty much this whole time while there's sitting at this tourist bar wang has been like pleading with shot like please can we go back like this is fun thank you for taking me out thank you for the tour like please let's go back and shah's basically ignored him this entire time but at 10 minutes to one o'clock in the morning shah decides you know what yeah okay fine, fine. it's time let's can go can you carry me though <laughs> So Wayne carries him back. Yeah, and just tosses him like a sack of potatoes over okay. his shoulder. Jogs. And they head back to the office. And as they're coming up on the darkened silhouettes of the radio antennas, Wang is kind of reminded of these massive pendulums that he saw in the three-body video game. Right, or as I was reminded, the windmills in Joshua Tree. Oh, right. Just very, like, industrial farm feeling. And imposing, like, yeah, almost, like, unnaturally in place. So many of them. Unmissable, very that. Right on time, like, by one o'clock on the dot, Wang and Shaw arrive back to the lab. They sit down to look at the terminal. They get all settled in. The and clock as, strikes one. And as Wang looks at the screen, he can see that the line, that's a straight green line, remember, at this point. As always. Has just started to wiggle. <gasps> the line turns into a wave. No! The distance between each peak and valley begins to grow and shrink and ultimately becomes really inconsistent. Oh my god. Then the line changes color. <gasps> Going from this bright neon green to this striking blood red. No. And Shaw can't believe his eyes. Remember, Shaw was like, this literally will not happen for the remainder of humanity's time on Earth. Like, it's not going to happen. He's like, this must be a malfunction. He can't believe what he's seeing. This can't be right. But Wang is like, no, Shaw, this is not a malfunction. And like, I'm thinking at this point, like, I would be freaking the fuck out because like to me this is the equivalent of like whatever your worst fear is this is the equivalent of like that actually manifesting and coming true before your eyes right and you having no power in doing anything about it all you can do is witness it i feel like wing is not even surprised though at this point he's, he's not just like he's like he's learned she to like did it yeah, she like was right. he's learned to control himself because I mean, like he's been losing his mind all week. Come on, to stare at a screen and see the color and the shape of it change feels like a lot less imposing than ben like eyes and waking up and seeing numbers in your retinas. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. At this point, he's yeah, kind of resigning. Yeah, and across all three of the screens that they were observing on, a waveform appears. 
and the three screens move in sync. <gasps> Shaw takes out a notebook and he runs over to another computer to turn it on. He plugs in a cable and he picks up the phone. And from what Wang can overhear, Shaw's trying to get in touch with the other radio observatory. Wang knows that Shaw is stressed because his breathing is quickening and he's like sounding really like, Hey, it's Shaw at, at the at the city observatory. Um, Are you guys by any chance seeing anything fucking weird on your screens? Uh, mm-hmm. Just asking because, yeah, we're seeing something weird. And are they seeing something weird over there? And then a couple minutes later, as this new computer comes on and receives the data coming in from the cable that Sean plugged into it, on the screen, a red waveform appears, moving exactly like the other three. Fuck. And this isn't even like full enough confirmation for what Wang thinks might be happening or could be happening. And Wang needs more information. So he's like, Shah, do me a favor, print off the data that corresponds to these visualizations that we're seeing. He's like, can you control P that for me? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, wait, fuck, the printer's out of ink. So um, they change the toner. <laughs> they change the they toner. They run to Office Depot. Exactly. They come back. They put it in. He gets ink on his hands. They do a test print. It comes out. Crucial for the test print. It's crucial. And they're like, fuck, we're actually out of we're actually out of uh, red. So then they go back to Office Depot. They get the red. It's a... Uh, reload it. Reload retest it. Yeah. print. <laughs> Finally, they're good to go. Oh, wait, no, he has to download the driver. So he, he, you know, he searches driver for that particular model of that Epson printer. Install it. Then they have to update the software. (laughs) So they update the software. And by this point, the computer's software has to update. Shaw's like, do you think we should download the 4-in-1 printer driver with the scanner? Yeah, so they download the 4-in-1 printer driver scanner and it says, trust this computer. (laughs) Wang's like, what's your password? <laughs> he's like, no, he's like, he's like, yeah, I trust this computer. And then it's like, type in your password. So he types in his password, but there's a need for two-factor authentication. So they need to send a code to Shaw's phone. But Shaw's phone is actually back down at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> so they run down to the bar, get Shaw's phone. It's dead. So they have to choose an alternative, uh, you know, you, you know, you can choose a different authentication method. Do you want to do secret question or do you want to do that new one where you have to open YouTube and, and type in two digits? <laughs> Which one do you think they choose? I was thinking secret question. Oh, what's the secret question? Well, it's what is Shaw's mother's maiden name, obviously. Uh-huh. And the second one is what's your first phone number so shaw types in his first phone number finally they get authenticated they're able to download the four-in-one printer software update the computer print out their test print and finally it was a close one i know finally finally it's two in the morning four days later (laughs) shaw hands wang this printout and wang begins to cross-reference it against Finally, this Morse code chart that he's been just like sitting on and crumpling in his back pocket right. for the past two days. Fully faded, bleated. And using the Morse code and looking at the image printed off from the display screen on the terminals, Wang is able to decode that what he's seeing in this waveform is equivalent to 1108, mm. 21, 37. Another point in the countdown. No. He looks in a different area. He's like, okay, like probably wasn't a fluke, but let's just like double blind test here. 1108, 21, 
36. Oh, it's giving very 24. Did you ever watch 24 with Jack Very bad. Wang's having a hard time. Like, he can't really believe his eyes, but right in front of his face, printed on paper, the countdown, just as Shen Yufei promised, is continuing at the actual scale of the observable universe. At this point, Sha is nearing like an emotional breakdown and he's pacing back and forth through the laboratory only really stopping to see like what Wang is doing and try to understand like why Wang can't tell him what he's analyzing this data for and Wang is like Sha like I can't possibly explain to you in a way that you'll understand just please trust me after staring at the data printouts and analyzing the waveform for what he sees to ultimately be the time code wang begins to think out loud like you know what like maybe these satellites are all malfunctioning and Shaw is like you know that can't be true wang is like well what if it's sabotage like what if it's the americans or what if it's europe or what if somebody's like just actually trying to fuck with us or Russia. and Shaw is like that's impossible too to alter the amount of data that we're seeing that's coming from this far away from Earth, we would be talking about a supernatural saboteur. Right. Because we talked about it before. Like, whenever Shen Yufei first was like, I'll make the entire universe flicker for you. Like, how much quantifiable energy would that take to even make that... Ha- like, ignoring whether or not it's possible. Right. How much energy do you need to make that happen? Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be possible to, like, hack into into these measurement tools or computers. And Shah is like, well, you know what? Wait, this is going to be easy for us to confirm one way or the other. Like, if the cosmic microwave background radiation is really fluctuating as much as we're seeing on these graphs in front of us, there's no moon out tonight. Like, that's a big enough fluctuation. We should be able to go outside, look up at the sky, and see it with our eyes. And Wang is like, what? Go on. You can see the cosmic wave. And so Shaw tells Wang, like, yeah, it's like not like a big deal. Like the uh, the observatory has these tools that we let visitors use to see the cosmos. They're called 3K glasses. So cute. And just imagine like a pair of like hard plastic 3D glasses. But instead of it being 3D glasses like for a movie or for an image, it's the science tool that's been converted so that visitors can come to the observatory, put them on, go outside at nighttime and like look up into the night sky and like just with their eyes see the cosmos. It's very solar eclipse. Big time. By the way, I looked up whether these glasses really exist. Oh. And I couldn't find uh, anything about these glasses. Mm-hmm. However, when I did search 3K glasses, one, the one thing that did come up was a book titled 3K. And I just want to read you the description of the okay. book. This timely review covers all aspects of three decades of study of this ghostly remnant of the hot Big Bang origin of the universe and examines the consequences for astrophysics, cosmology, and theories of the evolution of large-scale cosmic structure the observational techniques used to measure the spectrum of cosmic background radiation and its angular distribution on the sky are examined in clear but critical detail from the work of penzias and wilson in 1964 to their latest results from nasa's cosmic microwave background explorer cobe cobe mm-hmm. which is one of the satellite one of the tools they use that they're using this review takes these observations and shows how they have shaped our current understanding of the early history of the universe and of the origin and evolution of the large-scale structures in it as a comprehensive and up-to-date reference. This book is suitable for researchers. Fascinating. Yeah. So I was like, 3K, I mean, it's a thing. 
it, it is a thing and it is directly connected with the cosmic microwave background research of which there really isn't a ton it's no. so niche that's fascinating right so maybe we should get that book maybe sishin lu read that book i know to be inspired for these glasses he had to be so he's like i've got these glasses for you you can look right there at the freaking sky and we should see it flicker i mean the wavelength is not that crazy he says it's a little seven centimeter wavelength which i just love that like oh right like visual light just exists at a certain wavelength and frequency but like, oh, yeah. there's all these other light spectrums that the are... light that we can see is such a tiny with the naked eye fragmented portion with our own eyes if you are able-bodied enough to have sight i mean yes it's such a tiny portion of the spectrum of light that exists i mean like bees for example can see the magnetic field around the earth because of what type of vision they have right and it helps Just them a, navigate a different visual cortex parrots can see the ultraviolet spectrum so wild and so if you throw on some 3k glasses you too can see you this, can dial into the wonders of the unseen universe. The cause, the 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 wavelength of this particular light, mm -hmm. which is the cosmic microwave background light, which is a seven centimeter wavelength. Yep. I, just, I love how physical light is. And so the only problem, though, about these glasses is they're down at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually at the planetarium which, which is, is also a bar which is but it's in a different part of town is like semi-close by but it's not physically where wang meow is at this present moment so shaw calls over to the planetarium and he tells them that wang is coming to get some of these glasses the guy in the planetarium picks up he's like planetarium here but it's really after hours like it's one 1 30 or so in the morning like it's far after hours it's and the secretary for monsters inc <laughs> it takes some convincing for shaw to have the attendant stay awake to wait up for wang to get there and so whenever shaw gets off the phone he's like wang i'm not gonna go with you i'm gonna stay here i have enough confirmation of whatever i'm the too fuck nauseous is happening <laughs> i have to pee I need to stay here. I want you to promise me that like whenever you figure all of this out, that you'll come back and you'll tell me what's going on. Because like I really want to understand with my brain what I've just been seeing with my eyes for the past 30, 45 minutes. Right. Who knows? This could be big for his research. And just before Wang gets in his car, he tells Shaw, he's like, listen, thank you for your help. I really appreciate it. But this flickering is going to stop at 5 a.m. After it stops at 5, you really shouldn't spend any more time pursuing it because I promise you, you're not going to get anywhere with it. Mm. And Shaw's like, oh, okay, like I understand. Wang has ruined this man's life. <laughs> but then Shaw goes, you know, Wang, really strange things have been happening lately to scientists. And Wang is like, you're telling me. I'm aware, obviously. Yeah. And Shaw is like, is it our turn? Like, he's coming unraveled at the seams. He's right. like, kind of like existentially afraid. And Wang is like, buddy, I don't know if it's our turn, but it's at least mine. Damn. So Wang hops in the Poor car Wang. and drives for an hour and arrives at the planetarium to pick up these 3K glasses. And we're back. You're listening to 1010 Wins. You give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world. When Wang finally arrives at the planetarium, he's been driving for an hour. He parks his car... 
He walks up to the door, and there's a staffer that's waiting. And it's the lady from Monsters, Inc. Sleepy Roz from Monsters, Inc. holding this briefcase, who just, like, really wishes she could just be asleep at this point. But she's like, Shaw owes me big time. He owes me bigly. (laughs) Here you go. Your glasses. And the staffer hands the suitcase to Wang. It's like, you got a 30-day return policy on those. They're like, inside here are five pairs of these 3K glasses, and they're all fully charged. In case you got a family that also wants to see them. Left button turns it on. The right dial is for adjusting the brightness. Like, I have 12 more pairs upstairs if you need them. Just let me know. But, like, I have to go sleep. I'm going to encourage you not to need them. Enjoy your night. (laughs) And so Wang goes back to his car opens the suitcase, and takes out a pair of the glasses. And when he sees it, it reminds him of the display screen from the V-suit when he was playing the three-body video game. It's like now, instead of this countdown in his eyes, now the three-body game is kind of becoming his recurring sort of like intrusive thought because everything is reminding him of it. He puts on these glasses and he looks around and like for the most part, everything looks the same. But then he's like, oh yeah, wait, sorry, I have to turn them on. So he turns them on and the city lights up with this really hazy glow. And he realizes that all the light sources that he's seeing are actually sources of radiation that have been converted into visible light. So, like, immediately I'm like, that's cool. Like, your phone would be lighting up. Right. Your router would be lighting up. Anything that has, like, inherently has, like, radiation, including people give off some radiation, would have... Some visible light in the form of a glow associated with uh-huh. it, I guess, becoming stronger as it's moving through stronger this radiation. Filter. Wang lifts his gaze and he looks up into the sky and he sees everything is glowing with this faint red light. And with a push of a button and with only these glasses to aid in his sight, Wang becomes aware of the cosmic microwave background radiation. The light that he's observing was created more than 10 billion years ago. They're the last remnants of the Big Bang, that initial moment of cosmic inflation, which like... So crazy. It's so far away. Just the fact that he's seeing it now means those photons have been traveling for over 10 billion years to arrive on Earth for him to even witness them. It's so crazy that photons can travel for that long it's without insane. just vanishing. It really just sort of like puts in perspective. Because there's no friction. Just well. how vast space is and how insignificant in size we are. Right. As an individual, but also we as a society and we as a planet, we as a galaxy even. It right. really puts all that into perspective. And with more observation, Wang sees that the flickering isn't periodic. It's not like the ticking down of the time code that he's used to, but it's irregular and in this moment kind of like i mentioned about like things being put into scale wang kind of feels like an island he kind of feels like he's like the only person alive who can even sense what's going on in the first place and he kind of gets the sense that like even if he were to fully tell somebody about what's going on that nobody will ever really be able to understand what it is he's going through right how can you tell anyone Uh, the cosmic microwave background is pulsing According to a countdown specific to me. Without getting locked away. And the center of the universe. At this point, shaken by what he's seen, Wang takes off the glasses, sits down on the ground, and like leans against the car for stability because his legs are kind of going weak. Slowly, his eyes start to readjust to normal vision, and everywhere he looks now causes him to become transfixed by the different sources of visible light that he's seeing. 
Mm. He can see on the ground how leaves on the trees are reflecting light, how there's neon lights by the entrance to the zoo across the street. He notices that all these lights are also twinkling randomly. So ever the scientist, Wang tries to interpret all the flickers that he's seeing using the Morse code chart. Mm. He's like, for all I know, this puddle that's reflecting on the sidewalk could be trying to send me a message. I don't right, know. Right, the sound like, of the cricket. He's literally questioning nearly his entire existence that's at some, this point. That's some paranoid schizophrenia level shit from at least the outside observer's perspective. Yeah. Of like this person thinks that there's meaning to the random flickers of light, the random cricket sounds. Like everything. And like Wang is analyzing his surroundings like this to the point where he loses all track of time. I'm I'm also sensing like this is like a theme for Wang where like sometimes it's because he's wandering sometimes it's because he's like overanalyzing or becoming like near paranoid but regardless he's analyzing his surroundings and he completely loses track of time mm -hmm. the planetarium staffer comes back over having a, had a nice nap and a cuppa comes over to be like hey um are you, you done, done with those they're ten thousand dollars a piece are you are you finished using those, those now can I take them back and when they get to Wang, all the sleepiness that had been in their face completely drains and changes into fear. Because I guess they're realizing, like, you know, maybe they're a little afraid of Wang. Maybe by this point they've talked to Shaw on the phone and they understand that, like, something cosmically much bigger is going on. Who knows? You but, like, okay? regardless, this person is, like, not visibly sleepy at all anymore. They take the glasses, glasses. <laughs> put them back in the briefcase. Stare at Wang for a few seconds and then really quickly go back inside the planetarium with the suitcase. Good night. So at this point, with that realization coming down from this mental spiral of like, is this cricket trying to talk to me and yeah. tell me something? Wang pulls out his cell phone and he dials up none other than Shen Yufei. Without even so much as a single ring, Shen picks up the phone. Hello. And Wang's thinking, like, what's with her? Like, maybe she can't sleep either? But he just gets straight to the point. And he's like, what happens at the end of the countdown? And Shen Yufei answers. I don't know. And hangs up. So remember, like, at this point, Wang's been through it. Visually, he's not having the hallucinations anymore. But, like, now the actual cosmos is responding almost with some type of consciousness directed at Wang Miao. Oh, he's deep in Chapel Perilous. He's starting to have this moment, like if you remember when, when Wang first wound up at that clandestine meeting of all the military leaders and Captain Shi Chung was like, have you ever had a moment happen to you that just fundamentally overnight, upside down, 180, fully changed every aspect of your life? Mm. And Wang was like, no. Right. And Shi Chung was like, then you're extremely fortunate. Wang is like rapidly approaching this point. And with everything going on, Wang can't help but wonder, like, is this going to be my own version of whatever undid Yang Dong? Right. And so mentally, Wang starts to spiral even further. He starts to think like, you know, I wonder if like every time there's a great disaster, world wars, tsunamis, other types of natural disaster, human-made horrors. Like, I wonder if those events had their own ghostly countdowns. Mm, yeah, I He's mean... He's like, I wonder if, like, the countdown is, like, a harbinger of, like, terror, basically. Isn't that thing with, like, Nostradamus, like, predicting 9-11? Yeah, like, very kind of, like, numerologically, like, close to things like that. Yeah. 
And Wang's also like, I also wonder if every time these countdowns revolve around somebody who is like at the center of it, who nobody else knows of, but who has to bear ultimate responsibility. And then he thinks, you know what? Maybe this countdown and the flickering is actually the signal for the end of the entire world. Right. Then he thinks, oh, that would be a relief. Yeah. But in all of the doomsday ideating, the one thing that Wang knows for sure is that no matter what is happening, the countdown only has about a thousand or so hours left. And Wang knows until the very moment where the countdown reaches zeros across the board, it's going to torture him because he still has no idea what any of it is for. Yeah, and you know, I fully forgot. Like, I don't know if I even know what it's for. I, you know, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm very much ahead of this part in the book. I mean, like at least 10 chapters ahead of this chapter but i actually don't remember what this countdown is and i don't even know if i ever did find out what it is or if i'm still in the part where the countdown's happening i think i may still okay go on wang hops back in his car and just starts driving away from the planetarium the city is quiet the roads are empty and it's just before dawn he's driving slower than usual because like keep in mind mentally he's literally like spiraling down towards like the black hole that he's like got in his mind and he's driving slower than usual because he's afraid like if i move fast i'm afraid that's gonna make the countdown run faster so i'm just gonna kind of like cruise kind of and like not tempt the fates basically the sky begins to light but this time it's not from the cosmic microwave background it's the first light of morning appearing in the east classic all-nighter so wang probably tired parks the car and just starts to wander around aimlessly finally after all this chaotic spiraling wang's mind is empty aside from thinking about the countdown it's taking up every corner of his thoughts it's just like countdown hidden message morse code jumpa lahiri like that's all he's thinking about and for all the work that wang does and all the science that he accomplishes he feels like he's turned into nothing more than a simple timer that's just tolling for someone except the only problem is he doesn't know who he's tolling for Right. Do you know for whom the bell tolls? For whom the wang tolls? He sits down on a bench and he looks up into the sky to see sort of like what's around him that his subconscious brought him to this place that he's supposed to see. And he discovers he's sitting in front of St. Joseph's Church. And he's like, oh. Okay. This all is actually just one big Christian propaganda uh-huh. book. <laughs> Surprise! Have you heard the good news about our Lord and Savior? <laughs> he stands up off of this bench to leave. He's like, I've come to Jesus. Well, kind of. He hears, a, he hears hymnal music playing from inside the church. And he figures it's like a choir rehearsal or something, because like it's not Sunday. And I thought this was interesting, and we'll post this song. The narrator tells us that the song that Wang hears is Come Gracious Spirit, Heavenly Dove. So we'll post that if you want to like have a little immersive experience. Maybe you but should it goes a little something like this. Maybe you should emotionally spiral, you know, before you listen to it so you can really feel like Wang sitting outside this church. But we'll post it so you can listen to it. Come gracious spirit, heavenly dove. We want to show you Jesus' love. It's a gospel choir. Yeah. Love it. And so Wang is just standing there outside this church listening to the music, and he's having this almost like dissociative moment where like he almost feels like the size of the entire universe has shrunk down to the size of this church. And because he's aware of that, he tries to like place himself in that same sort of 
kind of proportional space. And he feels like he's the size of an ant crawling through the cracks in the floor. Mm. Which just like reinforces like in this moment, he feels like helpless. Like for all of the resolve and all of the sort of like self-protective dissociation he's been doing lately. He finally is feeling his cosmic smallness. I feel that. I really feel that today. after this episode the sun exploding sorry yeah, exactly. and at this point his mental strength melts like a candle and collapses which was a detail from the narrator which i was just like i i see that yeah i see that I, like i've never felt that that extreme but like i see you wang me out mm-hmm. he covers his face and he just begins to sob <laughs> so i'm sure you know if there were people around they'd be like He's having a moment. He's seeing the light, but like just the opposite. He's like seeing the void. Let the spirit move you. And it's breaking him. Oh, I've been there. As Wang is standing in front of this church, listening to the sounds of this hymn with his face covered, tears streaming down his face, his moment gets interrupted by a deep laughter. And, And the smell of a Marlboro Red. A voice speaks up and interrupts him and says, another one bites the dust. No. Taken off guard. Wang turns around to see who's taunting him and he's met by Captain Shi Chung. Duh! Fucking shoot. Or smoking a cigarette and blowing out two lungfuls of white smoke. And that's the end of our chapter. Oh my freaking god, Brett. Can you even? I cannot even. That is so wild. That is a great chapter. Yeah. Brilliantly read. Brilliantly done. I'm so excited to fucking find out what happens next week. I actually have no idea. And I'm not just saying that. What's next week's chapter titled? I'm guessing Dasha like sits down with Wang and gives him a fucking pep talk slap back into reality get your head in the game type of little you know well it's funny you mentioned that because next week's chapter is actually called dashu oh good so we're gonna learn something about dashu and mm-hmm. or from dashu and hopefully some more of his antics yeah i love dashu some more of him causing everyone around him to eye roll so yeah. hard their eyes fall out of their heads he's pure comic relief i live for him like three body.net also comic relief to mm-hmm. me but also very plot plot moving i mean every single scene is plot moving but dasha he brings the laughs so and the cigarettes and the cigarettes that's right if you want to bum one bum one from dasha i'm excited so until next week remember to try to not stress about the sun exploding yeah because it's not going to happen in our lifetime but even if it did, no, I'm not going to say that. That's not going to give you any peace. Uh, never mind. I'll say it. Even if it did, you wouldn't know about it for eight and a half minutes. Ooh, that's too long, actually. So second thing, change your printer cartridges. That's right. You never know when you're going to need them. When you're going to have to print out the waveforms of a cosmic microwave background flickering. Who knows? The cosmic microwave background could be flickering for you right now. And for me, for whom the bell tolls, for whom the background flickers. It flickers for we. Us. Them.
I just had to correct my grammar. I couldn't rhyme with like improper grammar. It's like the one thing I hate about a lot of pop songs. Brett, poetry's all about using language. I'm so, I'm a Capricorn. I'm such For a rule beauty. follower. Yeah. I can't really help it. Until next week, yeah. Hunker down. If you hear the sirens blare, run. Take cover under a desk, boys and girls. And drink your iodine. Drink your iodine is right. You've been listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast. Subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for exclusive content we might not have time for, subscribe to our Patreon. One last thing before you go. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review and tell your friends about us. Join in on the conversation when you follow us on Twitter at Radar Peak Pod. See you there.